the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. The chaos, the pandemonium, the abject fear caught on the cell phones of concert goers last night because in this day and age, we are all photojournalists. Pretty much like a war scene inside. I've seen a lot of stuff in my day with the fire department. Um, it was hard to see. It sounded like machine guns just didn't stop. And as the sheriff said, we have over 500 in our hospitals being treated. All hell, please, all secure. We all ran out down uh, the street here. All hopeful and all broken. Everybody wants a rhyme or reason. All thankless and all You had this individual who was, you know, hell-bent on committing this much carnage and chaos. All peaceful and all violent. Everything was fine, and then we heard two pop noises, and... All fearless, all and then he fell, and then people started dropping to the floor. All angry, all rejoice. And my sister said a girl next to her got shot in the head. All doubting, all uh, but the magnitude of this is, is greater than anything we've seen. All joyful and all it's, this, is, this is terrible, terrible. My fellow Americans, we are joined together today in sadness, shock, and grief. Last night, a gunman opened fire on a large crowd. He brutally murdered more than 50 people and wounded hundreds more. It was an act of pure evil. Hundreds of our fellow citizens are now mourning the sudden loss of a loved one. To the families of the victims, we are praying for you. Scripture teaches us the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We seek comfort in those words, for we know that God lives in the hearts of those who grieve. Nothing could have prepared Americans for the news that many of us woke up to this morning. In an instant, some 22,000 people were transported from a breezy performance to a war zone that would change their lives forever. 59 dead, 515 wounded. This was a tragedy for too many families whose sons and daughters will never come home again. A tragedy for every single survivor who will bear the scars of that night for the rest of their lives. And it's a tragedy for America, a country that's felt the intensity and frequency of these attacks multiply faster than anyone could have imagined. 
For now, there's no comfort in facts. The motive of the gunman is unknown today as it was last night. ISIS claimed responsibility for radicalizing the uh, shooter, warning months ago that Las Vegas would be a target of of an attack. But authorities say there's no evidence to support that claim. What we do know is that this was an act of evil. It was and is unthinkable. Dr. Ben Carson once said, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. What happened at this outdoor festival should be an opportunity for earnest soul searching in this nation. And as we stop and pause and consider what happened, perhaps it's an opportunity for us to cry out to God as he extends his grace toward us. Well, good afternoon. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a day in which we are all mourning the loss of fellow Americans. Some 59, we now know, uh, died in that massacre. 515 were wounded. The severity of those wounds, we do not know. What we do know is that, that a gunman turned a Las Vegas concert into a killing field on Sunday night from the perch of the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino, using at least 10 guns to rain down a steady stream of fire, murdering 59, injuring more than four, 500 in the deadliest mass shooting in modern United States history. The suspect died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound, but not before wounding a deputy when he shot through the door as they were approaching. He was identified as a 64-year-old Stephen Paddock, a resident of Mesquite, Nevada. Police initially sought a woman believed to be his roommate. Uh, She was a person of interest. She's out of the country. They have since contacted her when she returns or looking forward to talking more uh, with her, the Clark County Sheriff Joseph Lombardo said that the an excess of 10 rifles were found in that room, but didn't immediately reveal a motive, saying, I can't get into the mind of a psychopath at this point. The shooter had been in the hotel room since the 28th of September, according to the police chief or the sheriff, rather. He said a check of the federal and state databases showed that he was not on law enforcement authorities radar before the bloodbath. Authorities said two on-duty Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department officers were injured during the shooting. One is in stable condition after surgery. The other sustained minor injuries. President Trump said that the mass shooting was an act of pure evil, and he praised those first responders in an address to the nation. To the families of the victims, he said, we are praying for you and we are here for you, adding that he will visit Las Vegas on Wednesday to meet with first responders uh, and families. The gunman who fired down on uh, the Route 91 Harvest Festival from a room on the 32nd floor of the hotel uh, died from self-inflicted gun wounds. And at this time, federal authorities rather uh, do not see any connection to international terrorism and little is known about his motivation. Interestingly, his brother was interviewed, uh, Eric Paddock. He told reporters outside his central Florida home early on Monday that an asteroid just fell on us, referring to the family. He said Stephen Paddock had no history of mental illness. His brother was just a guy, and he freaked and had uh, retired to Las Vegas because he liked gambling. Well, the Department of Homeland Security said this morning that the department is closely monitoring and helping partners investigate the tragedy, but at this time has no information to indicate a specific credible threat involving other public venues in the country. Attorney General Jeff Sessions spoke with Sheriff Lombardo, offering full support. The Department of Justice uh, is working alongside to try to resolve some of these uh, many um, unanswered questions. As I mentioned, the gunman we are were told this afternoon bought more than 30 weapons, had more than a dozen stashed in his hotel room as he uh, carried out the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. 
The cash included converted fully automatic AR-15 style assault rifles with high capacity magazines. The weaponry suggested that he passed numerous FBI background checks. A senior law enforcement source says that Paddock had about 19 guns in his hotel room. Weapons were found uh, as uh, 308 and 223 caliber. He uh, killed himself as police stormed his hotel room. The 223 is known as a typical AR-15 round and is common in small gun, uh, rather small game hunting. The 308 is a heavy, long-range bullet. It's meant for a big game like elk or black bear. It's commonly used in the AR-10 rifle. Fully automatic weapons are illegal, but uh, machinists can convert them, and that's apparently what was the case here. There's one unlikely exception. The machine gun purchased prior to 1986 is eligible for a license from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, which issued a tax stamp. But those stamps are almost impossible to acquire. So many unanswered questions remain. Up next, we're going to talk with Dr. Michael Brown. He's the author of a new book, Saving a Sick America. He's also a national radio host and contributor to The Stream. He wrote a column uh, responding to the Las Vegas shooting, begging the question, can America still be healed? We'll talk with him in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. We have been reeling as details of the shooting that took place in Las Vegas uh, overnight are coming to light. Uh, many of us wonder how how to answer the question surrounding this kind of tragedy. Well, Dr. Michael Brown, he's the author of the new book, Saving a Sick America. He's a national radio host, a contributor to the stream. And in a recent column, he responded to Las Vegas shooting, begging the question, can America still be healed? Families have been ripped apart, he writes, and individual lives have been torn apart. One day we're reeling from devastating hurricanes. The next day we're torn apart by racial divisions. The next day, we're ripped apart by the worst mass shooting in our nation's history. The pain is palpable, and the shock is tangible. So what's the answer? What's the right response to these events? Again, Dr. Michael Brown joins us to talk about his column and what we might do to deal with this situation. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, glad to be with you. And and, and what a horrific day. And and who can imagine the pain and the trauma of, of the families of the victims and the people right now just coping with what's happened. Look, to look at this as if there's a simple political solution or gun control solution is to miss the bigger, bigger issue. America needs God. There's this whole call, make America great again. Let's be candid. America can't be great unless America can be good, and America can't be good without God in the center. And I don't mean that we go around bashing people over the heads with the Bible. I don't mean that we come with some kind of superficial moralistic message. I don't mean that we try to establish a theocracy where, where Christian leaders take over America. I mean our roots are godly roots. If you look at the history of our nation, our roots are godly roots. That's the key to our greatness. That's the key to our freedoms. And right now, whatever the call, we don't even know this man's motive. Mm-hmm. We don't know what is behind it. 
we know we're hurting. We're hurting. It's, it's one tragedy after another after another. What do you do? This is when people have to realize we need to get down on our knees and say, God, help us. We can't help ourselves. You um, start your column out by suggesting that America is reeling again, and that's that's the right way to describe where we stand as a nation. This is a time when I think people are not only asking specific questions about this latest event, but they're also considering larger questions about the future of our nation and the, the nature of uh, humankind and the capacity for evil. As these questions are in the fore for many individuals who are honest about what they're witnessing in this country, what do you hear God saying to our nation? We need the gospel. The same gospel that transformed me when I was 16 years old, shooting heroin, breaking into homes, living a godless life, 1971. The same gospel that transformed me, the same gospel that transformed one of my closest friends in India who who went from basically a terrorist to now one of the national leaders in, in orphanages and Christian education for children and, and helping the poor and the needy, that's what we need. What we've got to do is we've got to fix We're missing part of this, uh, this audio. I'm going to put you on hold, and hopefully uh, Clark can uh, see if we can get a better signal here because we missed the answer to, to the statement that you were just making. In the piece that I'm referring to in the stream, uh, the headline is Only God Can Heal America. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, we know that very well. He points out that we must now ask bigger questions at a time of such agony. Why are these tragedies occurring? Where is God in the midst of this? And how can America be healed? This is a very sensitive time, but it's also a very teachable moment in our nation. And uh, seizing upon that opportunity, beginning on our own knees, uh, is a great way to respond to the series of events that have left, once again, our nation reeling. Now, I apologize. Our signal ended for a, a moment as you were speaking. Can you repeat what you were just saying in response to the larger questions being raised in the uh, wake of this event? Yeah. 1873, Charles Finney said, in short, if America is messed up, it's largely the fault of the pulpits. And that remains the case today, that I lay the blame for the broken state of America at the foot of Christian leaders in America, that we have preached a watered-down message. We have not uh, told the whole story. We just want to preach this happy, happy God, and you can have a happy, happy life. And we're not dealing with the nitty-gritty life-and-death issues that Americans are facing. We're not dealing with the moral crises for the most part. You can go a whole year and go to church and not hear address the critical issues we're, we're dealing with. Look, you have to just died. We're in a world now after the sexual revolution where 8-year-old kids are accessing pornography, mm-hmm. where 10-year-olds are sexting each other. Where 14-year-old girls have lifetime STDs. That's just one, one, one area of problem in America. And yet you can go a whole year and hardly even hear it talked about from the pulpits. Or are religious freedoms under assault? And yet it seems rather than speaking more loudly, we go more and more in retreat. So I'm saying the solution is right in our hands. The solution is before us, the same gospel that transformed me and transformed so many other people that were rebels and, 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 and a ban on the society. That's the same gospel that America needs. If we'll live it out ourselves and then shout it out in the world around us, I believe this is the only thing that can cure America's wounds. You write that I sensed in my own heart as I pray was the voice of appeal, the voice of mercy, the voice of a healer ready to mend and restore. It was God saying to us through the storms, America, you need me. Uh, at times like this, we tend to to listen perhaps more, we're more apt to listen than at other times. Your thoughts on how we might 
help to uh, put a megaphone to that message that the God of mercy is saying to us loudly, you need me. Yeah, well, what we have to do, number one, is, is we, we have to not become so desensitized that we just, oh, that was yesterday, now we go on with the next day. Let us keep these things before us. Let, let us keep the reality of the devastation. How long is it going to take the people of Houston to rebuild? How long is it going to take these families to rebuild from, from the horrors in Las Vegas? Rather than getting so desensitized that just no big deal, let's go on to the next thing. I mean, some Americans, it's already passed. It's this morning, it's already passed. So we must refuse to do that. And then what we must do is ourselves earnestly, honestly, put the, our, our, the pedal to the metal and say, God, what about my life? How does my life line up? Am, am I just part of the culture of violence? Am I part of the culture of death? What am I doing to bring about positive change? If everybody lived like me, how would America look? We need to ask ourselves the hard questions. And I know this, when I begin to seek God earnestly for my own life, it makes me much more sensitive to the needs of those around me. And it makes me realize much more the things that put me to sleep. I've, I've become desensitive to violence, uh, desensitized to it. I've become used to just seeing the latest shootout thing on TV or the movies, whatever it is, and just the latest news comes in, goes out. I need God to sensitize my own heart. And as that happens, now I look at my neighbor, and I have much more concern for them. I look at others in need, and I have much more concern for them. And for every pastor, preacher, teacher listening, let us not let go of this until America has another great awakening. You know, I've been preaching on these themes now in recent weeks that this is the church's great opportunity. And the last chapter of my book, Saving a Sick America, I talk about times in American history, the 1700s, when religious leaders said religion is dying in America. 1800s, when the Chief Justice of the United States said the church is too far gone to ever recover. 1966, April, cover story, Time Magazine, God is dead. But what happened in each of these situations? There was an awakening, the first great awakening in the 1700s, second great awakening in the 1800s, the Jesus Revolution in the early 70s. So Time Magazine, five years after their headline saying, God is dead, what happens? They have another headline, the Jesus Revolution. That was the cover story. So there is still hope. But I, I, I think we need to look at it like this. You've had a heart attack. You, you met with your doctor, and he says, look, you're going to die. If you keep living the way you're going to live, you're going to die. But if you will make radical changes to your diet and your lifestyle, you can be healthier in the future than you've ever been. That's what I believe God's saying to America. Hmm. Are you optimistic that beginning with the body of Christ, that men and women of faith are going to begin to take seriously their call to be ambassadors, to their call to the Great Commission, and that we will first begin on our faces before the Lord, acknowledging our own sin and shortcomings, uh, that we will be a part of a transformative movement, a move of God in our nation? Uh, I'm optimistic, but cautiously. When I look around, I still see so much complacency. I still see so many just wanting to go on with the status quo. And because I wasn't shot, my family wasn't shot, and we didn't get wiped out with a hurricane, we're just going to go on living the same way. And yet, I'm optimistic because I feel God stirring hearts. I'm optimistic because I felt God say to me, write a book on the fall and rise of America. I'm optimistic because everywhere I turn, people are saying, we need hope, we need God. And, and, and I believe that we could literally be on the verge of a massive, great awakening. But we must not let up.
Mm. I pray that that is so and that I'm a part of it because I've humbled myself before God. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your voice as well. Appreciate it. Again, Dr. Michael Brown is the author of a new book, Saving a Sick America. He's also a national radio host and contributor to the stream. His latest column uh, simply titled, um, Only God Can Heal America. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 35 minutes after 4 o'clock is our time. Well, President Trump said the nation is uh, joined together today in shock and grief. He announced that he's going to travel to Las Vegas on Wednesday to visit the families of at least 59 people killed in the Sunday night shooting there. In White House remarks uh, lasting just over five minutes this morning, he called the shooting an act of pure evil. He asked for unity. He praised uh, police who quickly converged on the gunman's nest in a 32nd floor hotel room. And by the way, there were first responders, uh, police officers who were uniformed and some who were off duty, who shielded others and lost their lives protecting them in that venue. The president said, I want to thank the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and all of the first responders for their courageous efforts and for helping to save the lives of so many. The speed with which they acted is miraculous and prevented further loss of life, he said. To have found the shooter so quickly after the first shots were fired is something for which we will always be thankful and grateful. It shows what true professionalism is all about, end quote. Well, the president ordered flags at government buildings to be flown at half staff in honor of those killed and wounded. To the families of the victims, we praying, uh, we are praying for you and we are here for you. And we ask God to help see you through this very dark period. And then he made a reference to Scripture, as you heard a, f- a few moments ago, saying that Scripture teaches us uh, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We seek comfort in those words, for we know God lives in the hearts of those who grieve. To the wounded who are now recovering in hospital, we are praying for your full and speedy recovery. The gunman, as we know, has been identified as 64-year-old, 59 were killed, 515 um, who were attending the outdoor country music concert in Las Vegas were injured. ISIS had originally uh, said that they were responsible for the event, and while it's not clear at this point that there's any connection, law enforcement quickly said that there doesn't seem to be a connection, but the investigation continues. Well, the massacre in Las Vegas uh, on Sunday has... um, Uh, where at least 59 were killed, is the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. But there are others that preceded it. The Pulse nightclub uh, massacre in June of 2016, in which 49 people were wounded, 50 uh, uh, people rather were killed, and uh, more than 50 uh, were wounded. The San Bernardino shooting in December of 2015, where a husband and wife opened fire at a holiday party in San Bernardino, killing 14, wounding 22. The Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre in 2014, in which 20, um, a 20-year-old shot his mother uh, in her home. They drove, um, then rather, drove to a Connecticut school and fatally shot 20 children between the ages of 6 and 7, plus six staffers at the school, with a total of 27 dead. He then killed himself. The Virginia Tech massacre, in which a student there shot dead 32 people in two locations of the school's uh, campus in April of 2007, there's Columbine, there's Luby's cafeteria shooting, 20, uh, 23 people were killed, 20 wounded, the San Yazaro, um, Yazero, um, uh, McDonald's massacre in July of 1984, University of Texas in 66, Greenwood massacre in 19, uh, well, we'll go, it can go on and on and on. So it is not 
altogether unusual. But the president was absolutely right when he called the attack an act of pure evil for evil. It was it was undiluted. It was undisguised. And even in an age of moral confusion, Americans can still know evil when they see it uh, now through a veil of tears. Albert Moeller points out that we uh, we will know more in the days and hours to come. Right now, we know that the right thing to do is to pray for grieving families and the healing of our land. And the right thing to, is to call evil what it is and not hide our faces from the truth. So what do we do in our shock? We often uh, default to news consumption, waiting on every bit of information. Who was the shooter and why did he do this? We know who he was. We don't know why he did it. What about the wounded? What does this mean moving forward? What needs to change in our country? Well, these are the kinds of questions that are important to ask. But um, one suggestion that Ed Stetzer made with regard to Christians in response to all of this is that after we have learned of the shooting, we turn away a moment from the news, from that consumption uh, towards prayer. And we have an opportunity to fall to our knees and to pray for those who uh, are suffering and who have suffered. Scripture both models and teaches that prayer is central to the Christian life. Prayer is action, although it feels like it is static. We are making an appeal to the one who oversees and superintends all the affairs of men's not men rather not only action needed but a good uh, a good action that's needed for the moment we can also pray for the victims as uh, 59 people we know are to have been killed and over 515 have been injured as was the case with Orlando San Bernardino Newtown and others in recent memory Casualties such as these invariably leave a, a wake of destruction. And if we're honest, in addition to feeling sadness, we are also angry. If we look at Scripture, we find that this response is normal as well. And those who want to see God's kingdom come here on earth, our anger is a reflection of how things are not right in this world. In fact, our anger can spur us on to greater love and to deeper prayer for God's healing and shalom to come during times of great tragedy like this. And as we recognize our anger, we then pray with an attitude of confession and expectation. Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1 is an example of one receiving terrible news of devastation far away. He started his prayer and fasting by confessing his own sins. Now, it may seem counterintuitive, but it is a right response. He then gave himself to the task and expected that God would empower him to be a blessing. And so can we. So we pray for healing for the survivors and for their loved ones. We ask God to bring not only physical and emotional healing, but spiritual assistance as well. This spiritual assistance takes many forms, words of encouragement from believers spoken at the right time and in the right attitude, reminders that we have a God who cares for us and who himself is familiar with uh, our sorrows and grief and great pain. And we also are called to pray for our civic leaders. In the political division we face, praying for our civic leaders can be difficult for some of us. This past week uh, has been a good example. Of course, people will bring lots of issues uh, to these conversations. But when a national tragedy occurs, before we begin arguing about who is right and wrong and why this happened and how we can stop it, we first sit in the pain, we weep with those who weep, and we pray. Questions of mental health, gun laws, the source of the hate are indeed appropriate questions to ask and discuss. But First Timothy, the second chapter, the first couple of verses actually commands us to pray in intercession and thanksgiving for kings and all who are in authority. Leading through these um, through crisis 
is uh, is harrowing and can be magnified by everyone looking to you for answers, whether or not you have them. The president, Congress, local law enforcement, local leaders are not only grieving as we are, but they're responsible to lead in the aftermath. And that can be challenging. Regardless of our political divisions, how personally difficult it is to pray for certain civic officials, our faith demands that we submit ourselves to humility for praying for our leaders. Praying for Las Vegas Sheriff Joseph Lombardo, Las Vegas Mayor Carolyn Goodman, Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval, and President Trump. Pray honestly and fervently for their wisdom in navigating the treacherous roads ahead. Pray that they'd make wise choices for the safety of our nation and its people. Pray that they would have wisdom and discernment during the crisis so as to bring unity and leadership to those in need. It's a tall order, but we can pray. We need to pray for Las Vegas churches. Uh, Las Vegas is known as Sin City, and surely some uh, will say this is the judgment of God for getting the Bible Belt. Houston uh, just had a hurricane, and of course, some in the media will make that person that uh, no one has ever heard of into a nationally prominent voice. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. As Christ followers, our place is not to judge, but to humble ourselves in unity with our brothers and sisters who are grieving. And we need to pray for the church in Las Vegas. And yes, there is a church in Las Vegas to be ministers of the gospel in the midst of this loss. As Paul asked of the early church in Colossians 4.3, we must pray that God would open a window for us to share the love of Christ in the midst of the pain. Just as God's church has led a response to hurricane relief, pray that it would now, again, in light of the Las Vegas event, do the same. They need all of our encouragement and support during this time. Just a couple of weeks ago, Vance Pittman of Hope Church in Las Vegas uh, said their uh, church had been uh, a bearer of hope for uh, many years in Las Vegas, but that word takes on new meaning, and many other churches will bear that hope as well, and uh, we pray, in fact, that they will. And then going forward, we need to stay on our knees. We must do more than pray. Issues, some controversial, need to be addressed, but all of us can agree to pray in this moment. Let's pray for comfort for the hurting, echoing the words of Paul, speaking of uh, God who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with a, conf- with a comfort, rather, we ourselves receive from God, 2 Corinthians 1.4. Then we can pray the words of Jesus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as recorded in Matthew, the sixth chapter, the 10th verse. The world is not as Jesus desires it to be, and we pray for him to make all things right. God's kingdom is one that is holy and right and without pain and suffering. Lord Jesus, this is what we long for today and always. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and fix this broken world. And let it begin with us as we humble ourselves in prayer uh, before him. In other news, a knife-wielding man killed two women on Sunday at St. Charles train station in Marseille, France. And an unnamed 30-year-old man is suspected of stabbing a police a policeman and injuring four pedestrians on Saturday. Evil is not limited to the United States. It spreads all over the world. And as men and women of faith, let's begin to pray and trust that God himself will guide us to be a light. 46 minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later in the program, we're going to talk with Donna Gaines. She is the author of Choosing Wisely, Live Fully, Lessons from Wisdom and Folly, the Two Women of Proverbs. Uh, We'll talk about what these two women in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs have to tell us about uh, choosing wisely and living fully. She'll join us at about 5.15 this afternoon.
Well, 93.9 KPDQ would like to honor our area pastors. This is, of course, October Pastor or Clergy Appreciation Month. So we'd like to uh, to honor our local leaders, associates, ministry leaders, and their spouses at the 2017 KPDQ Pastors Appreciation Breakfast that's presented by Adventist Health. So we'd like to invite you to join us at 8 a.m. this coming Tuesday, that's the 10th, at the Embassy Suites Portland Airport for a delicious breakfast, music, fellowship, and a message from Pastor Brian Chapel of Unlimited Grace Radio. If you'd like to attend, all you need to do is register and say, yeah, I'm coming. You can do that at kpdq.com. Plus, everyone who attends will be eligible to win a two-night stay at the Lazy Moon Lodge at Eagle Crest Resort in Redmond. Time is running out, so let me encourage you to register today. Again, that's kpdq.com. If you are coming, bring your wife, your husband, your uh, associates, your ministry leaders. All are welcome. Again, that's October the 10th, which is next, not this coming, but the following Tuesday. Taking a look at uh, other news uh, from uh, the weekend, um, FEMA director uh, says to Puerto Rico that the damage there is the most logistically challenging event in the United States history uh, that the United States has ever seen. Uh, We're talking about the FEMA director, Brock Long. He says, look, we're not going to be satisfied until the situation is stabilized and hurricane devastated Puerto Rico, but... This is the most logistically challenging uh, event in the United States that we've ever seen. And the bottom line is, uh, is this the most, uh, uh, this being the most difficult, uh, we've been moving and pushing as fast as the situation allows. Every day we make progress. Every day we have some setbacks. Making the point that logistically this has been more challenging, and that is at least Uh, partial explanation as to the delays in getting into some areas. In fact, some uh, places are impassable because the roads have not been cleared. And the uh, story goes on. He noted that before relief supplies can flow to the isolated areas, the roads have to be cleared or even rebuilt. We've opened up 11 major highways, he says. But this morning, there are over 3,200 different problems reported with the uh, roadway systems, from bridges missing to roads being blocked by floodwaters to roads just disappeared because of the landslides. So we're having to work for all that. So it's not just a matter of using the infrastructure that's present and moving things uh, quickly and easily to where they need to be. The infrastructure is uh, uh, destroyed in some uh, cases altogether. He said even with the logistical challenges, a massive amount of supplies are flowing into 11 regional distribution hubs, and FEMA also is working to get the private sector, including grocery stores, up and running. Over half the grocery stores and realtors, uh, re- rather retailers, are uh, beginning to uh, operate now at a baseline level. Over 300 pharmacies are beginning to operate over a baseline level. These are signs that routine is going back uh, coming back, rather, and that progress is being made. Do we have a long way to go? Long went on to say, absolutely, we have a very long way to go. He reminded people that Puerto Rico and other Caribbean islands have been hit by two major hurricanes in the space of 10 days, which is difficult to even fully comprehend. The bottom line is uh, you can only shove so much into an island pre-storm because if you... Um, uh, if you're pushing too much stuff, the storm may damage it. So a lot of people were critical because preparation wasn't made ahead of time. The concern was you bring it in, it's going to be part of the collateral damage. So we had to pull back not only equipment and staff because we don't uh, want 
uh, to soak up vital shelter space. We want to continue to push forward after the fact and move more equipment in. The ports were damaged, the airports were damaged, and so on. Well, the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, has complained about the federal disaster response, prompting angry tweets from the president, who can't sometimes help himself, including this one on Saturday. The mayor of San Juan, who was very complimentary only a few days ago, has now been told by Democrats that you must be nasty to Trump. Such poor leadership ability by the mayor of San Juan and others in Puerto Rico who are not able to get their workers to help. They want everything to be done for them when it should be a community effort, Trump tweeted. Well, bad form, it seems to me. On Sunday, FEMA Director Long uh, told Fox News, so the problem and the frustration is, is the way information is being misrepresented across the board. I don't have time for that. Uh, What we have time for is being laser focused to help Puerto Ricans, and that's what we're doing trying to turn the attention back to where it belongs on trying to meet the needs of the people. Long urged Fox News to go to the joint field office in San Juan, where federal and local officials are working together. You should go see the, that operation, he went on to say, where we are having daily conversations with all the mayors. Uh, we're working with the governor and his leadership to be able to create unified objectives. If mayors decide not to be a part of that, then the response is fragmented, end quote. Well, the mayor of San Juan did not attend FEMA emergency planning sessions, which was probably a bad idea. You know, we can choose to look at what the mayor spouts off or we can, or what other people spout off, but we can also choose to see what's actually being done, and that's what I would uh, ask for, he went on to say. Well, Long noted that the infrastructure in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands was incredibly fragile to begin with, and he said most of the emergency response fell on federal shoulders. Usually it's a joint effort. You know, you have uh, nearly 13,000 people working in both islands, you know, both islands' uh, territories right now, trying to do everything they can to push forward and push uh, uh, push forward. He repeated, and that capacity grows every day. So I think we have to uh, filter out the noise, referring to both the mayor and the president, and we have to continue to push forward. My guys back here have been busting their rear rear ends, I'm quoting, uh, day in and day out for almost 40 days now to help Americans, and it's been incredibly complex. There's not a person in this country that would change jobs with me right now. End quote. Well, he said the priorities are to get the electricity back on and communities back up. But he said it will take multiple months before that happens because much of the power grid was a total loss. So you're talking about recreating infrastructure that barely existed to begin with. Uh, meanwhile, Marissa Anastasia O'Grady says the emergency plan depended on genera- uh, generators, but diesel was not delivered and that FEMA's foul up in Puerto Rico is at least partially to blame, saying that the hurricane taught the federal emergency, or rather Hurricane Katrina taught uh, FEMA some harsh lessons in 2005. Uh, they used what it um, learned to prepare for and respond to Harvey and Irma when it hit the U.S. mainland ahead of a Category 4 storm that hit uh, with 155 mile an hour winds on the 20th of September. The FEMA team in Puerto Rico said it was ready, but a, a week later, much of the island was still in dire need of food. And again, uh, FEMA's director explained why that is uh, so much the case and the challenges that differ from uh, both uh, Florida and Houston that make this a uh, much graver uh, challenge for them. Well, just over a week after Hurricane Maria tore in, into uh, through Puerto Rico, reports are beginning to reveal its impact on the island's Christian community, including more than a million Protestants. Approximately 3,000 churches were damaged or destroyed by the Category 4 hurricane. The National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference estimated 
Uh, the board, one of the board members, rather, and one of Puerto Rico's best known pastors said that she was not aware of a single church that escaped damage or harm. In addition to flooding, down trees, buildings ripped apart by the uh, uh, winds and storm, uh, cut through electricity and communication networks, the Christian TV station, CDM Inter, um, International, as well as several Christian radio stations went off the air. A Bible distribution ministry lost its inventory when its building was hit and so on. Of about 90 Southern Baptist churches in Puerto Rico so far, the North American Mission Board has heard from a dozen, uh, all of which suffered limited damage. Uh, as a relief, efforts uh, make their way out from San, uh, San Juan. Local churches serve as a crucial connection point for spiritual and physical support. And uh, the concern is that uh, the uh, the church in Puerto Rico is being supported so that it can uh, function in its primary capacity as a uh, refuge, shelter, and support for the people. We'll tell you more about that uh, later this week, but did want to mention. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 21 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We are attempting to reach my next guest. She's the author of Choose Wisely, Live Fully. Uh, Donna Gaines is a speaker. She's an author of Seated, Living from Our Position in Christ and Leaving Ordinary, uh, um, Encounter God Through Extraordinary Prayer. And she's also the founder of Arise to Read. It's a nonprofit that recruits churches and businesses to adopt and provide tutors for inner city elementary schools. She teaches Bible study at her home church in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, Bellevue Baptist Church, in which her husband is the uh, pastor. He's also the Southern Baptist Convention president. Uh, she is a mother of four and uh, the grandmother of 11 grandchildren. And uh, again, her book is titled Choose Wisely, Live Fully, Lessons from Wisdom and Folly, The Two Women of Proverbs. And Clark is working on reaching her. As I was mentioning uh, before the uh, the last break, the churches in Puerto Rico are struggling um, evangelical relief organizations are distributing supplies to help meet their needs. And for those of you who would like to uh, reach out and minister to the church as it ministers to uh, the communities that they uh, are assigned, that they live and work in, you might look for Christian organizations like Samaritan's Purse that are doing ministry in those areas. In other news, the Supreme Court kicked off its new session today. Uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch on the bench for the first full term and the justice uh, justice is immediately diving into a pretty hot button labor dispute. It is their first this session. Numerous other challenges are on the docket for this term, covering everything from religious liberty to union dues to voter redistricting. Consideration of the president's controversial travel ban is on hold, uh, though the issue nevertheless looms over um, arguments. Uh, but first up today was a clash between business and uh, businesses rather and employees focusing on how workers can complain about pay conditions and other issues in a rare split. The dispute pits uh, Justice uh, Department lawyers against those from the National Labor Relations Board. At issue are contract employees or rather employers. They want to enforce um, uh, t- that would prevent workers from pursuing group claims in court. Now, the case involves workers who tried to sue a Murphy Oil USA gas station in Alabama, but had contracts requiring any dispute be settled in individual arbitration. Employees, uh, they say going uh, going it alone at uh, 
is too costly and makes it impossible to pool resources for an attorney. Lower courts have split over whether the agreements are enforceable and so have federal agencies. The National Labor Relations Board originally had found the requirement violates federal labor, law, labor laws, rather, but the Trump administration reversed the Obama administration's position in support of the National Labor Relations Board. The result is that government uh, lawyers representing the Justice Department and the National Labor Relations Board are opposing each other in court. Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said she has never seen such a thing in nearly 25 years on the court. Uh, unlike last October, justice is convened today with a full bench after the president uh, earlier this year installed Neil Gorsuch to fill the vacancy that was left by Justice Antonin Scalia's death. One high profile case could disappear, at least for now. The court uh, canceled the October 10th argument over the, the president's travel ban after the president announced a new policy last week that differs from the one the justices had decided uh, to review. Still, there are lots of important cases that remain uh, that t- uh, touch uh, gay rights, religious freedoms, uh, the polarization of American electorate, the government's ability to track people without search warrants, states' rights to allow betting on professional and college sporting events, and the ability of labor unions that represent government employees to collect fair share, in quotes, fees for a contract negotiations from workers who don't support the unions. And speculation hasn't um, uh, receded over whether uh, another vacancy might occur. We were told, um, uh, well, at least there was speculation we were told of that at least one seat, Justice Anthony uh, Kennedy, who had been hinting that he uh, was going to retire, might do so this summer. Well, sources close to him say that he had been seriously considering retirement, may not stay on uh, on the bench for Trump's entire first term. Rumors were at a blustery pitch that he would step down last uh, last June, rather. Uh, but the new term begins with the 81-year-old justice on board, his unique power base intact. His influence as the court's swing member and deciding vote on a range of high-profile cases from same-sex marriage to immigration to abortion has left his seat uh, coveted by those on the right and the left, replacing him would launch an epic political fight, could prove a boost for the uh, Trump presidency itself, as he will have the opportunity to nominate the next Supreme Court justice should a vacancy occur. For now, Kennedy's uh, moderating presence could blunt the uh, Trump agenda and that of fellow conservative Republicans. Other court watchers wonder about the plans of the liberal Ginsburg at 84, the oldest member of the court who, as we've seen, tends to fall asleep from time to time while uh, hearing a case. Well, Secretary of State uh, Rex Tillerson on Saturday during his visit to China said that the U.S. is probing North Korea for talks and the two countries have communications with Pyongyang. He said the U.S. has contacted the Hermit Kingdom to see if it's uh, interested in talks and the two countries have lines of communications to Pyongyang. Uh, We are probing, so stay tuned, Tillerson told reporters in China. When asked how the uh, two countries probed, Tillerson said they would ask directly. Uh, We ask, would you like to talk? Uh, We have lines of communication open to Pyongyang. We're not in the dark uh, in this situation. It's not a blackout. We have a couple of three channels open to Pyongyang. Uh, We can talk to them. We do talk to them, Tillerson said. Well, he told reporters that the U.S. government and North Korean government have direct communication with one another over its nuclear and missile tests. When reporters asked if the U.S. worked with China to communicate with North Korea, Tillerson said the U.S. has direct access. Well, you may have heard the president wasn't at all pleased that uh, Secretary Tillerson made that announcement from China so publicly as the president likes to keep things close to his chest. And 
uh, made some comments that seem to contradict Tillerson. So it's not altogether clear what that may mean moving forward. But Tillerson said that... uh, These channels are direct to North Korea. He didn't go into detail about what type of communications the U.S. has with Pyongyang and if the isolated country has responded. He called the tensions between the U.S. and the North uh, and the threats uh, President Trump and Kim Jong-un have uh, traded the past few days a bit overheated right now, according to the New York Times. If North Korea would stop firing its missiles, that would calm things down a lot, he was quoted as saying. Well, earlier Saturday, he met with Chinese President Xi Jinping and other officials to discuss trade, North Korea, and preparations for President Trump's visit to China in November. Tillerson is making his second visit as Secretary of State to the world's number two economy and chief American rival for influence in Asia, and increasingly, the world. Along with Xi and senior foreign policy advisor uh, he met with foreign, um, the foreign minister who told uh, Tillerson that China and the U.S. Uh, in terms of their relations overall have a positive momentum and have arrived at an important opportunity to progress further. Well, neither Tillerson nor the Chinese officials mentioned North Korea in opening remarks made in the presence of journalists, but... Uh, That certainly was a part of their conversation. Ties between Beijing and Washington are considered more crucial than ever with the standoff with Pyongyang's nuclear weapons and ballistic missile entering a new, more dangerous phase as its leader, Kim Jong-un, and the Trump administration exchange personal insults and threats of war with no sign of a diplomatic solution. Last Thursday, the president signed an executive order targeting North Korea's trading partners, calling it a powerful new tool aimed at isolation and denuclearizing the regime. The sanctions could punish eight North Korean banks and 26 bank workers living abroad. We'll continue to follow that story as presumably it develops. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. So far, we haven't had much luck reaching Donna Gaines. We'll make another go of it. Uh, otherwise, we'll continue to wind our way through some of the weekend's news. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I apologize. My guest, Donna Gaines, has not been able to uh, be reached uh, her book, Choose Wisely, Live Fully, Lessons from Wisdom and Folly, The Two Women of Proverbs. It's definitely worth reading. The book is published by Abingdon Press. So if you're interested, you can check that out. But we're moving uh, forward, sadly, without her. I woke up this morning, I turned the radio on on my way into uh, into the office, dropping Dan Rice off and heard the uh, the news about Las Vegas. I was immediately alarmed because his brother and uh, many of uh, uh, his immediate family members live in Las Vegas and we had not... Uh, consumed any media the night before or early in the morning. And so it was uh, it was alarming to hear that so many had been killed and so many wounded. And I had no idea if among the casualties were any of our family members. We learned that my niece, uh, she works in an area that's in that uh, in that same hotel. Thankfully, she was not present at the time and survived. But some of the employees who work under her lost friends uh, who are attending the concert. So it's been a very difficult day, obviously, for the city of Las Vegas. And it was a challenging morning finding out if any of those who were injured or uh, dead were family members. And I know for most of us, we woke up this morning and once you made connection with the news, whether that was the newspaper or the radio or watching television, it was a, a shocking reminder that evil is in the world. Law enforcement officials uh, are working today. They're trying to determine what may have motivated this particular gunman described as aggressively unfriendly with an arsenal of weapons to kill at least 59 people, wound more than 520, and that number 
keeps going up, enjoying a country music festival on the Las Vegas Strip. The killer, identified as a 64-year-old Stephen Peacock of Mesquite, Nevada, was a gambling multimillionaire who made much of his money investing in real estate, according to his brother. Um, he, his brother added that he had no reason to believe the gunman had run into financial trouble. So it, it, it appears, if the brother knows anything about his sibling, that that was not a motive. On Sunday night, uh, Stephen Peacock shot down at the uh, packed Route, 20, uh, Route 91 Harvest Festival from the 32nd floor of the hotel, where he had been staying since the 28th of September. Officials said he uh, booked one suite with two rooms that had windows facing different directions. Neighbors in Reno, where uh, he had a home in addition to a property in Mesquite, described him as extremely standoffish. The Washington Post reported one neighbor told the paper he'd occasionally reveal a refrigerator sized safe uh, when he opened his garage door, but otherwise kept the blinds drawn. No affiliation, no religion, no politics. He never cared about any of that stuff. His uh, brother, Eric Paddock, said, speaking to reporters, as he alternately wept and shouted, if you can imagine what that must be like to learn that your sibling is the one responsible for such tragedy. He was a guy who had money. He went on cruises. He gambled. He told reporters outside his home on Monday that the shooter was a multimillionaire. Uh, He described his brother um, saying that he had uh, business dealings and owned property, the two of them together. He said he was not aware that his brother had gambling debts. He had substantial wealth. He'd tell me uh, when he'd win, he'd grouse when he'd lost. He never said he lost $4 million or something like that. I think I would, he would have told me, the brother said. Investigators uncovered some 18 firearms, explosives, and several thousand rounds of ammunition at the gunman's uh, home, Mesquite home, according to police. In addition, a source says that about 19 guns were found in his hotel room, the weapons consisting of a mixture of handguns, long rifles, which according to uh, the sheriff there traveled up uh, to his hotel suite through 10 different suitcases. Authorities also found several pounds of Tannerite. It's a product used for firearms target practice at the Mesquite home. Clark County uh, Sheriff uh, Joseph Lombardi said a SWAT team would visit a home Monday night in northern Nevada that's also associated with Paddock. Apparently he had several residences as he was quite wealthy. The shooting on Sunday was the deadliest in U.S. history. Gunfire rang out from inside the hotel room before SWAT officials broke down the door and found the gunman dead from self-inflicted gunshot wounds. He had wounded one of them as they approached as well. The sheriff said earlier that the rifles found included scopes. Uh, Two of the guns were modified to make them fully automatic. Two U.S. officials uh, said it was unclear if he used a hammer to break the window that uh, he shot from or if he had just shot uh, the windows out. Investigators are looking at both possibilities. And upon inspection of his car, officials found uh, ammonium nitrate, an ingredient that's harmless alone, but when combined with other chemical ingredients, can make a bomb. Again, his intentions are not yet known. Asked about a potential motive, Sheriff Joseph Lombardi said that uh, he could not get into the mind of a psychopath at this point. But in spite of what uh, the shooting has brought to the city of Las Vegas, goodness is coming out in full force. Uh, There is a six to eight hour wait to donate blood at nearby uh, centers. Supply donations are abundant and the GoFundMe account set up by officials has raised one point eight million dollars 
for more than 24,000 separate contributions. Also, during the shooting itself, we hear stories, uh, we're hearing stories of individuals who were just regular people, men and women, who had gone to hear a country music concert, a large festival, along with 22,000 other people, who were rescuing complete strangers, residents who had driven to the area and uh, drove people away from danger as uh, they were doing what they could. People who sacrificed themselves in order to save others. A husband um, covering the body of his wife to protect her. She survived. He did not. Strangers, police officers in uniform and out of uniform who put themselves in harm's way in order to protect other people. One man saying to the young people who were uh, not yet in their 20s that he had lived a full and happy life. Theirs was just beginning and he sheltered them with his own body. We saw the best and the worst of humankind. And as my guest earlier in the program suggested, while political solutions uh, may help us move in a direction where safety and security is an issue uh, that we feel a bit better about. Um, political solutions alone are insufficient to meet the needs to explain, to um, change the the core of what's needed in this country. And uh, I know that many are praying, uh, praying for those who are injured, praying for those who've lost loved ones, for the uh, city, for officials, that they would act with wisdom moving forward, but that we would experience in this country a, a crying out to God that we would recognize we need you. Uh, my guest, as you might recall, made the point uh, that he is hearing God say to us, you need me, and he's available uh, to minister to our to our country if we will just humble ourselves and uh, and receive him. And I, I hope that many believers are praying and that we are asking God for clear direction. What can we do to make a difference in this culture? We know that in this life, in this world, we will know tribulation, hardship, uh, difficulty. But God, uh, but uh, Jesus himself said that he has overcome the world and we can stand firm and be a light to those who desperately need it. Representative Dana Rohrbacher says that he has uh, seen evidence that could disprove the Russia-Trump collusion accusations once and for all, but he's having a hard time getting his message through to the president. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has offered to provide the evidence, well, in exchange for a pardon from President Trump. The congressman expressed confidence in an interview uh, with OAN that the president will get behind this as soon as he hears the message, but... Getting the message to him apparently is a challenge. Of course, the president has a lot on his plate right about now. He said, I think he will he will because I'm going to try to overcome the obstacles in the way, which happens to be his staff. So in the next few weeks, my job is to try to make sure the president's staff doesn't fence him off, uh, fence him off rather from this offer. Well, uh, again, Representative Dana Rohrbacher added that I think that when he hears that there's been an offer made, he will insist on knowing about it. Well, that's speculation on his part. But he went on to say that the one person who could prove or disprove charges that Trump and Russia colluded on hacking the DNC is Julian Assange. And no one has even bothered to go see him. Last month, Rohrbacher went to London to visit him at the Ecuadorian embassy himself. He has a story to tell, Rohrbacher says. Whether or not he's reliable is another big question I'm asking. But uh, he goes on to say he's the one guy that I think the American people and people in the world need to hear. And he's the one guy that now our intelligence agencies, as well as the powers that uh, be in Washington, don't want anybody to hear. Well, the congressman suggested that the intelligence agencies headed by Obama appointees had political motivations when they verified that the Russians had hacked the DNC. 
He went on to say that Julian Assange says that's absolutely not true. Absolutely, the Russians did not provide him with these emails, but someone else did. Rohrbacher said the WikiLeaks founder has absolute proof of who gave him those emails, but he wants to secure a pardon before he provides the information so that when he leaves the Ecuadorian embassy, he doesn't get arrested. Now, again, uh, uh, this uh, this guy has something of a checkered background. So whether or not uh, he is to be believed or the United States president or other operatives are willing to hear what he has to say is a big if, but the congressman said people should not take Assange's word for anything, but should instead look at the evidence he provides. Of course, that evidence is only provided if he is pardoned. We're relying on him providing us evidence which the American people then will evaluate and then will determine whether or not we believe his story as to who actually delivered those emails to him. Well, he told OAN, again, the news agency, in the second part of the exclusive interview to be aired on Saturday, that the American people don't know as much as they should and would be outraged if they knew the full measure of the information withheld from them. Well, we'll see. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. This has been an emotionally difficult day, and as we... Uh, heard from Dr. Michael Brown a few moments ago, the nation has been reeling, and rightly so. When evil raises its ugly head, it raises questions about the nature of of humanity, about whether or not we have the capacity to protect ourselves through the means and mechanisms of security that we have in mind. And as Dr. Brown pointed out, that there is no political solution that can save us. There is no social band-aid that can be applied. There's no law that can be passed that will heal our sickly land. What we need is a great awakening, a return uh, to Jesus. And, uh, you know, our, our one of our famous uh, patriotic songs is God shed his grace on this nation. And when we've rejected him, I believe that has receded somewhat. And we've experienced what life in this nation is like without that kind of overseeing, overreaching uh, blessing. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's exclusive to the United States. God is no, no respecter of uh, national boundaries. But when a people uh, come together and acknowledge him in their currency and their music and the way they conduct themselves, that it is one nation under God. He takes that seriously, whether or not we do. When we reject that um, that stewardship, that that overseeing of us, if, if you will, um, there are consequences to that as well. Uh, I did note that CBS had to fire a vice president um, who said that the Vegas victims didn't deserve sympathy because Country music fans often are Republican, and therefore they deserved what they got. That's the kind of vitriol. That's just one example, but that's the kind of vitriol that we are seeing in our nation today, where even under these kinds of circumstances, there are those who don't recognize that we are one nation, that we do share some things in common that are worth preserving. We need to be in prayer for uh, the United States, and as uh, Dr. Brown pointed out, it needs to begin with us. Well, in view of the many tragedies that we've seen, some of them natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, and so on, uh, consumer sentiment, we're told in the United States, is riding high on a tide of good economic news despite political turmoil at home, inflamed geopolitical tensions, and other catastrophic storms, deepening political alienation, violent marches, talk of war, things that might otherwise make households cut spending and hunker down for safety because such events are far from their uh, day-to-day economic lives. An- uh, analysts, rather, say that consumers remain confident despite these events. 
and are going about their business. There is a sense of, oh, well, let's just do what we uh, normally do. In the past year, there's been a lot. uh, There's been quite a long list of issues that could have derailed consumer confidence because we are told that we are essentially consumers. The The unprecedented partisan divide, North Korea, Charlottesville, as well as hurricanes and so on. The chief economist at the University of Michigan's survey of consumers said in a statement last Friday, um, they released their uh, university uh, twice-month index of consumer sentiment, which slipped 1.6 points between August and September, but remained elevated through three hurricanes and events that just recently took place. People are going about their business, as one might expect, primarily because many of these events, of course, take place at some great distance. But uh, while at the one hand we are alarmed and we reel at these kinds of events, on the other hand, we shrug our shoulders and it's business as usual. I hope that's not the case for those of us who take seriously the sweep of history and what the scriptures tell us uh, we can anticipate in the days ahead and the tremendous role that we are called to play in sharing, first of all, living his gospel and sharing his gospel as well. Well, in other news, O.J. Simpson, he avoided a media frenzy. He was freed from a Nevada prison during the early hours of Sunday morning. He was released after serving nine years for the botched uh, 2007 hotel room heist in Las Vegas that brought the uh, conviction and prison term that he avoided in the killings of his wife and friend after the 1995 acquittal. Nevada State Prison spokesperson told the Associated Press that Simpson was released at 12.08 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time from uh, Lovelock Correctional Center in northern Nevada. She said he uh, did not know, uh, she did not know, rather, who met Simpson upon his release, didn't know where he was immediately headed. I don't have any information on where he's going, she said. She had no indication where he was on Sunday. She did say the dead of night release from the prison located about 90 miles east of Reno, Nevada, was conducted to avoid media attention. We needn't... um to do this to ensure public safety and to avoid the possibility of an incident. Um, he has uh, the, the 70-year-old Simpson rather gains his freedom after being granted parole earlier this year. And unlike the last time he uh, went for uh, free 22 years ago, uh, he's going to face restrictions, five years of parole supervision, and he's unlikely to escape public scrutiny as the man who morphed from the charismatic football hero, the movie star, the TV personality into a suspected killer and a convicted army robber. Uh, he did indicate that he planned to uh, uh, return to Florida. He wants to get an iPhone, get reacquainted with technology that was in its infancy when he was sent to prison. The Florida Department of Corrections, however, said officials had not received a transfer request uh, or required documents, and the attorney general said the state didn't want him. So being reunited with his family in Florida may or may not be possible while he remains on parole. Finally, red light camera systems can be used to catch speeders starting Thursday right here at home. State law currently limits red light citations to uh, evidence shown by the camera, which captures drivers running intersections, uh, but doesn't capture speeding. Well, photo radar captures speeds, but it's, uh, it's not part of the red light system. However, under pavement sensors or other technology that can allow red light cameras to capture speeds in addition to drivers running intersections and that new technology will be coming to us. A new passed, uh, a law rather passed in the legislature, um, uh, allow for local governments to do both. HB 2409 changed state statute. Under the current law, or at least as uh, it will be uh, on Thursday, it would allow cities to use red light camera systems to issue speeding tickets when speeds are more than 11 miles per hour over the limit during 
green or yellow lights. So if you try to skate through a yellow light and you're over 11 miles per hour, um, the speed limit, you're busted. Uh, it would also allow cities to issue joint citations for both speeding and running a red light if the speed is more than 21 miles per hour over the limit during the red uh, red lights. The city of Beaverton has a system that allows its four intersection cameras to capture speeds. City officials found that over the past year, more than 90,000 drivers went through those intersections at speeds more than 10 miles per hour uh, over the posted limit. As uh, envisioned last spring during debates on that bill, Beaverton will be the first to implement the system and expects to collect on about 30,000 citations during fiscal year 2018, according to Legislative Revenue Office. Portland, Sherwood, and Medford will go online next, followed by Tualatin, Fairview, Bend, and Grants Pass. They're going to begin in late 2019. Portland has speed cameras uh, uh, on Beaverton-Hillsdale Highway and just recently in outer southeast Portland. The city of Salem has three red light cameras at Commercial and Marion Streets Northeast, at Mission and 25th Street Southeast, and at Silverton and Fisher Road Northeast. Citations from those cameras uh, brought in $422,264 in fiscal 2016. Salem Police uh, Lieutenant David Okada says the city pays the camera company a flat fee of approximately 175000 $360 per year. So you can see it pays off for law enforcement. Salem hasn't considered um, adding technology to measure speeding, he said. The bill was supposed, uh, supported rather by the Oregon Association of Chiefs of Police, the League of Oregon Cities, the Pedestrian Safety Group Oregon Walks, and the Bicycle Safety Group The Street Trust. And again, that kicks in on Thursday. And while most of the state won't implement uh, systems that are capable of uh, monitoring uh, our speeds at intersections. Uh, that is a technology that's emerging. And in the sites that I mentioned, um, particularly in Salem and later uh, next year in uh, Portland, Tualatin and elsewhere, those systems will be recording your speed and you can be cited. Also, as you might recall, yesterday, the 1st of October, that's when the um, uh, distracted driving law kicked in. So be careful. Uh, that you are not handling your phone or other technologies in any way while driving. You can be cited for that, and that can be very costly as well. Well, taking a quick look at uh, the rest of the week, Brian McClanahan will be my guest tomorrow. He's the author of How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America. Despite the uh, very popular uh, musical, we'll see what he has to say. Josh Temple, who is the DIY Network's Disaster House host, he'll join us to discuss home disaster tips, so you'll be prepared. We're working on a conversation with Jeff Kinley, The End of America, Bible Prophecy and uh, A Country in Crisis is the title of that Harvest House book. We'll be talking with him about that on Thursday. So I hope you can join us. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blind for producing, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night and pray for Las Vegas. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.